to the South Piedmont Community College Public Safety Leadership Development Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to present ideas and voices of experience to help develop public safety leaders in the South Piedmont community and beyond. My name is Battalion Chief Rob Cannon, and today I'm joined by Randy Wooten. And Randy, is a uh, he has had a long leadership journey that has included time in and out of uniform in the uh, uniform military community and in the business community. Uh, Randy, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Rob. It's fun to catch up. It's good to have you here. I think, are you coming, joining us today from, tell us where you're joining us from and give us a little bit of your sort of personal background and your professional bio. So spend some time telling us a little bit about yourself because it's a sure. very uh, long and, and interesting career. Okay. Well, uh, not that interesting. It certainly feels a lot longer now that I'm 53. Uh, but yeah, so in Oakland, California today and uh, graduated from the Naval Academy and uh, I went into aviation, so classic JO role is part of an A6 uh, squadron. They de- decommissioned the A6s, and so that was probably the impetus for me to get out. I actually went back to the Naval Academy and taught literature, thought I was going to go be a teacher, and then realized how little money teachers made and said, hmm, maybe I'll go explore this business um, avenue, and was fortunate to get in a good uh, business school, and then from there, so that would have been 2000, about 10 years after graduation from the academy, I, I launched a uh, in the commercial field and have been there since. So 21 years, um, primarily focused on tech, well, all in tech. Uh, the functions that I've served in have been sales, service, marketing, primarily go-to-market functions, and have marched up the ladder. I've been CEO of a public company called Rocket Fuel. Uh, we took that private, sold it to private equity, and then most recently was CEO of a private company called Percolate, and sold that to a, another private company called Seismic, uh, and that's where I am now. And I head up the strategy function for Seismic, and will be here for some period of time. So, uh, you know, had definitely different inflection points in my career, going from an individual contributor to a manager to a director to a VP to a C-suite exec. And each one of them, I think, um, requires learning new skills and experiences. So, certainly excited to talk with you today. Well, that. Exactly what I think I want to focus on with your with your visit with us because you have, um, you've had this journey and and oh by the way I believe on the podcast you're our our first business leader which I love oh. to have because uh, one of our goals on the podcast you know we're we're making this primarily for the first responder audience but we want to share with them voices of experience that come in with different ideas you know we can have a within the first responders a sort of a closed uh, society to get ideas from outside so tell us then a little bit about the leadership lessons and philosophies you have developed um, mm-hmm. as you've moved sort of up that chain, sort of mm-hmm. out of, you know, in the uniform side of it, and then on the business side, right up to the C-suite, and in fact, the corner office where you were the guy making the decisions, right? So, um, you know, and along the way, you've got all those leadership tasks of recruiting good people and trying to retain them and train them and yep. right on down the line. So tell us a little bit about how you've developed as a leader. Yeah, well, I think one of the reasons I went to the academy I was really interested in studying leadership. Uh, I had been, you know, captain of this and president of that in high school, and was like ready to go to the the lab, the leadership laboratory, and really enjoyed my time in hindsight, the academy and learning about leadership, and then spent the next whatever it's been thirty years failing at it and learning at, uh, through different experiences of what I could be doing uh, better. Um, I would say at its core, I think my leadership. Um, ethos is, uh, you know, there's seven different types of leaders in, in or profiles. And one type is, the, and I think is important to 
spend time looking at those different types of leadership styles because different situations will require you to be different. And I, and I think as you grow up in your career, you start to understand what that looks like. At my core, I'm kind of one of those pace setting leaders. I just, I work really hard, really fast, and I expect the team to keep up. And that's very different than a, from, a, from the behind leader, which is supporting people um, more directly. And again, I think it really depends on the situation that you're um, uh, you're addressing. I think the other um, observation, I guess I would start the distinction between military and business is I used to joke that in the military, it was lead follower, get out of the way. Like I was super okay being a follower and let the leader make the call. As long as the leader made the call and we, we, we you know, we, we move forward. Um, the biggest aha for me as I went into the corporate sector was uh, it, it became lead follower. Let's talk about it. And I was like, why the hell are we talking about it? No, I, whose decision is it? Is it your decision? Is it my decision? How are we going to make this decision? I don't care. Like, I don't have any ego around this. You, you're going to make the call. Let's go. And it was really interesting in terms of, I think we take it for granted in the military community and the first responder community that you have a hierarchy and there's a real benefit to it as you look to the person who has experience to make a call. And the best leaders are ones who incorporate people's feedback and they give young guns an opportunity to lead the fire or whatever it is and to build that experience over time but you know when, when the shit hits the fan like there's someone who's making the call and i think in the in the corporate sector you have all these like dynamics egos and turfs and i've been to some of the biggest companies in the world I was at microsoft 100,000 people i was at salesforce one of the most exciting tech companies out there and i've seen this dynamic play out where um, it's hard for people to step up and make decisions. And so I would say one of the things that helped me in my career was I, I was not afraid to make the decision. Um, and, you know, I certainly tried to be uh, collaborative and perhaps when, earlier in my career, I wasn't as collaborative as I should have been. But I think um, the thing that I would use is I would say, hey, show me the data, explain your assumptions and what's your current point of view? Like there is no right answer in a, in a corporate sector, right? You can make different decisions, and you got to figure out how you're going to mitigate risks, et cetera. But help me understand how you're thinking about this problem, because I'll do the same. I'll walk you through my assumptions. I'll share my data. And through that, we can build a, a, a broader understanding of the facts. So data equals facts. We can start to understand the assumptions that you're layering on top in terms of, in terms of what our win rate could be or what our market penetration could be. And then we, could, we can make a decision about how we want to go forward with an investment or whatever it is. And I think that um, that ability it, it came from a book uh, uh, by Stephen Covey, and it's called The Ladder of Inference. That ability to take things out of the personal of you're right, I'm wrong, or I'm right, you're wrong, and sort of walk down the ladder of, or climb down the ladder of inference down to the level of data, which are irrefutable facts, um, allowed me to... Um, move forward as a leader because I could invite people in and say, hey, help me understand how you want to make the decision. And now is it going to be your decision or is it my decision? And I think um, trying to clarify and articulate what's the decision that needs to be made, who's going to make the decision ultimately, and how we're going to make that decision are things I use every single day um, in my interactions with, with folks. That's great feedback for us first responders because it's particularly when we move, say, from this uh, what I'll call tactical level of leadership, you know, on the street, the bell hits, we go fix the problem, right? And then yeah. we go back, going back to the station to clean our equipment and grill the chicken, right? So yeah. this idea that as the, as the chief dog, you know, particularly as you, as you rise through the ranks and the first responders, you know, you may have been 
you know, a battalion chief responsible for six firehouses and you're putting out a fire. Now you're a deputy chief or a chief. And now you're looking forward five years. Yeah. Like, where's this department going to be? Yep. And oh, by the way, there's almost an infinite number of paths to be there. And you have to build this uh, cohesive, you know, so this is where all the meetings and the, and the, the interminable collaboration has to yeah. happen, right? You have to build yeah. that. You have to give everyone, even if you sort of know the way, you have to give everyone yeah. a chance to voice their opinion. Sure. Yeah, and I, I do think that, you know, lead, follower, let's talk about it is, I, I say it's sort of a smirk, but it's real truth. And I think, you know, stepping into the CEO role, um, the way I would describe it is you have to love every function. So you have to learn to fall in love with finance, IT, product, dev, HR. And in fact, I find that one of the best parts of being the CEO gig is you're, you're a master of none, or you, you kind of have your core function that you come from. CEOs usually come up either CFO or their heads of um, technology or their um, sales guys or gals. And so that's your, that's your strong suit. And you can always add value there. But I think as you step into these GM roles or CEO roles, where you're actually responsible for multiple functions as you build a broad-based budget and have to deliver against the plan, but having the awareness that those folks are really oriented very, very differently. And they add a lot of value. Like when you hang out with the CFO, they often are almost OC. They dot every I, cross every T. They're going to tell you all the reasons why you can't do something, all the risks that are associated with different investments. Great to have as input as you're making the decision and evaluating the different options, like what's the risk. And so I think of you know Lincoln and the team of rivals, the book that he put together, where he brought a bunch of people together that had very different perspectives because he recognized building a collective view and understanding of the problem, especially in areas where there is no clear answer, like there's no fire to put out, right? It's how are you going to build over the next five years, like having multiple points of view will pay off. I'll tell you, it's really hard. Like I would rather build a company of people just like me, like, you know, super urgent, kind of schizoid, just, you know, go, 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 go. Uh, it would be a lot easier because we could read each other's minds, but I don't think we would be as effective. And I think for folks that are stepping into these roles from an operator into a orchestrator or manager, right? And you're sort of the conductor of or the orchestra, you gotta be able to lean in and have an appreciation not just for their perspective, but also their orientation, how they view problems, what's important to them personally. And so you end up in a lot more, it's where your EQ uh, pays off more than your IQ or the fact that you can carry a big hose up a big ladder, right? Like it's, it's really, I think that's the biggest shift over my journey is the importance of spending a lot of time looking at emotional intelligence, looking at my own personality, trying to understand the other personalities, how I set them off, how they set me off, so that you can create these positive engagements of a team. You know, we call it first team. Uh, there's a guy, another guy who wrote a book, Lacani, wrote a great book about five dysfunctions of a team. And one of the things he talks about is this idea of you got to have at the core level trust. And then from that, you can create a really effective team. And I think Again, we take it for granted in the military and in the, I imagine in the first responder world, you have trust, right? You, you're trusting that other person with your life. Like when I took off on the A6s, I trusted that the plane captain had done their jobs, right? And the mechanics had dialed it all in and the plane was actually gonna take off and go where it needed to be. You just, your life, you were trusting to others. And I think in the corporate sector, you don't have that level of intensity. You don't have that level of intimacy. You don't have that level of just foundational trust. And so, one of the things you work on is how do you build that trust? There, another book, Speed of Trust. You know, how do you build trust and the and the trust dividend you get 
from uh, doing that. I think is very real, very palatable, but is you have to be deliberate about it. I think uh, I've spoke with uh, talking first responders before about that that exact topic because it's very easy to build that trust when you're working with someone on a 24-hour shift, you know, for eight days a month. But as soon as you move up a level of leadership, and now yeah. the folks are distributed, and you move up one more, and you know, sort yeah. of normal folks, they they don't sit around in the morning, you know, drinking coffee for an hour to, and and then going to work out and cook together. You know, they they come in, they go to work, and it takes an enormous amount of effort to get together enough to build that trust that you're talking about. And interesting enough, uh, this podcast that we're recording today will, will air uh, in the future, but the, uh, the podcast in this series that just aired yesterday was about emotional intelligence and, and that exact yeah. thing that you talked about and how important it is. Yeah. And I would say that that, that personal journey, you never, we never end, right? I'm 53 and I'm still finding out about how messed up I am, but I do think being deliberate and intentional about that. So I went through two, they have um, these programs are called bench programs where they're developing the next level of leader. Um, I did it at Microsoft and I did it at, at uh, Salesforce. And it, you know, these are like year long programs where you go through, you work with the center for creative leadership or something like that. You get your 360 review, you do all these personality assessments, you figure out who you are and, and then how you show up and um, what your dark side is. And, and I think the more that you understand yourself, right, to thy own self be true, like the more you understand yourself, the more able you are to show up empathetically and um, authentically with the team. And I think that when it, I was CEO of Rocket Fuel, it was 1,300 people distributed around the world. And I, in, in some ways, you're the figurehead, but in some ways, you know, people are trying to connect with you as a leader. They want to understand what your vision is, where you're going, why they're, why, why they have continued to work for the company. In the military, you take for granted everybody's there for their tour of duty, right? They can't quit. Um, in the civilian sector, they can quit at any day. And so, part of your journey as a leader is to continue to articulate that vision, show them, you know, admit fault, admit, you know, transparency when things are, aren't working. But I think it's that leadership through authenticity um, that people can really connect with and you just hear it. I mean, you just, the tone is different uh, when you're following leaders who are, are operating from that place. And I think that comes from a real sort of comfortableness with who you are and, and your strengths and, and opportunities. If you're able to be sort of transparent in that way, people will resonate with you on the human level. Well, and I, and I like, I think you just answered one of the questions that I was going to ask you, which was sort of how do you prepare yourself for leadership along the way? And you just sort of answered that with constant self-improvement, constant classes, yep. constant yep. you know podcasts that you're listening to, whatever yep. it is. Um, you know, how much time do you think you spend, you know, you've been CEO of companies, CEOs and strategy officer, but yet here you are, you're still, you know, personally, you know, how much time do you spend developing yourself, you think? Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm still in a program that we meet. It's a four hour once a month program. And I got a guy I talk to uh, for an hour once a month. So that's five hours of just in this type of world. It's a, it's a great leadership program. I think uh, it would be applicable in the in the first responder program. It's called Pathwise uh, Leadership. Um, so go check out the website. Awesome. Transformational. It's like um, Myers-Briggs times 10. So if you guys have ever done any of those Myers-Briggs or those other personality tests, uh, discs, insights, I've done them all. Right. Pathwise is 10x better. So I would say there's a commitment on that front. I think earlier in my career, I read a lot more business books um, because I was trying to build specific skills and capabilities. Um, and um, 
around strategy, competition. I get, well, heck, I got one right now here around category creation. So I probably have 50 business books that I pull out and refer to, depending again on the situation that I'm, um, I'm working in. Oh, and to that point, um, there's a great book. It's called The First 90 Days. And it's, um, I forget who the author is, but it's what you should do for every job in your first 90 days. And I think it's really powerful, um, especially for people who may be transitioning out of the first responder world to better understand how corporate sector is structured and the types of conversations you'd have and how to define success with your boss and how to create contracts with your colleagues. It's, I read it every time I start a new job. It's like, it's my go-to book. So I think, you know, I'm probably a little bit more academically oriented, Rob, than maybe some folks just, you know, I taught at the Naval Academy. I, I went to St. John's. I got my master's in the classics. You know, I went to business school. Like I love academics and I love books and, and ideas. I have three books clubs going on right now. So um, I, I am intrigued by ideas. I'm intrigued and stimulated by sharing those ideas with other people. And um, uh, it's it just great. So yeah, so at my company at Percolate, we, I wanted to define a category. I bought everybody the book, Plain to Win. It was all about category definition. Um, and uh, we read it and we had a book club on it. And so yeah. I think that there are uh, different ways to create trainings, uh, you, you know, the deliberate go be in a program like the bench program, then there's self training that you're doing by reading books. And then there's experiential training that you're doing. Um, I'm building a business case to buy a, buy a business, right? Like that, that's an experience. And so I think that um, having a regular uh, uh, program around that is important. Otherwise you just end up doing a year like you did the last year, right? You haven't, I, I tell people I try to operate at the edge of my own ignorance, right? And how do I expand that edge um, through a deliberate study and engagement program? I, I think the lesson there for sure is right. We're, you know, not everyone is super academically or book oriented or whatever, but nonetheless, you, you know, having now even risen to the very tops of leadership in, in the business world, publicly traded company, whatnot, you're, you're involved in constant self-improvement. Yeah, you're the super in depth. But if you're listening to this yeah. podcast and you want to be a leader, what I think a great takeaway is, uh, you know, you can't sit on your laurels. You every day, yeah. you know, you can't be watching reality TV. You have to take a little time, whether it's thirty minutes or three hours a day, whatever it's going to be for constant self improvement. The book you mentioned is funny. Uh, first ninety days just came my way. I was helping someone. One thing we have to do in the fire service is move. You know, you, you're. You're riding the back of the truck one day and the next day you're leading your colleagues. And uh, so this, yeah. is a, this can be a struggle for folks, right? All of a sudden they were one of the crew and now they're leading the crew. And uh, that book uh, really speaks to that issue quite nicely. Uh, and I, I can't, I'm like you, I can't remember the author, but first yeah. 90 days uh, coming at you with two recommendations from both. Yeah, of you. I may have, I, let me see if I can put my finger on it. But I, you know, I think the uh, thing that you were pointing to Rob is I, I think about like, again, you know, not everyone had, I, I was super lucky to get in the Naval Academy, but one of the, one of the things I found there was this idea of, you know, really trying to develop the whole self and the mind, body, spirit. And so, you know, I work out six days a week. I, take my kids to church. We do a program to evaluate values and develop ourselves, which I'm still very interested in. This Pathwise program is really one of those. And then the mind is, you know, how I look at, you know, different books to help provide ideas and insights. But I think everyone can figure out 
for themselves, what are they doing along those dimensions to continue to grow as a whole person? And clearly you guys are all going to be super stud athletes and you probably, you know, in good values, moral values, et cetera. But it's this other piece. And I think in the corporate sector, because we're not fighting fires. And I think you'll find this as a fire chief, if you are managing finance or HR, like take a course on finance. There's a there's a great course at you know, lots of business schools. It's corporate finance for non-financial professionals. Are you going to understand? And again, I don't know how a, how a uh, uh, fire station is run, but how much detail do you as a chief need to understand in the P&L and the balance sheet and the allocation of capital? If you've never done that in your life, how are you going to augment your skills? So as CEO, for example, I, I went to, back to Stanford and took a course on corporate finance because I really wanted to learn about financial leverage and, and how to buy companies. And then um, I also wanted to figure out what the hell I did wrong at Rocket Fuel because it didn't go the way I was hoping it was going. And going back and doing the autopsy on it and, and learning a little bit about you know this and that was, was really helpful. Um, but I, any of those areas that you have, I think maybe the thing is, the, the opportunity as a senior, you know, now that we're 50-ish, is to just recognize you are who you are. And you and what I mean by that is you have great strengths and there are areas where you have weaknesses. And I think when I was younger in my career, I didn't want to admit that I had weakness. Like I was just going to, you know, I could crush anything. And I think as you grow up, you start to recognize, or especially if you go into this role where you have multi, multiple functions rolling up to you, you're never going to know as much about finance as a CFO or IT as an IT guy. And so what you got to get good at is enough depth that you can ask good questions. And it's like that trust, but verify, right? You trust that the IT executive is going to be a great IT executive, but how do you set up the, the context for conversations where you're verifying that they're really on top of their business in terms of the priorities they're establishing, the investments they're making, the problems that they're solving? How are you a thought partner with them, but do it from a place of directed inquiry? asking really good questions. And I think part of that is this, you know, inch deep, mile wide understanding of the functions. So you don't need to be the expert, but you need to have enough context to uh, uh, ask good questions. And I, you know, I will often just start with, look, I don't know your function or I don't know in engineering how you think about engineering efficiency. Can you help walk me through the assumptions data. Can you help me walk walk me through how you think about ratio between product manager, engineer, and product designer? Why is that the right ratio? How does that work? White work unit work for you? How, what's been your experience? So you make them the expert, and through their explanations, you start to learn. And I think those questions that you're asking start out innocuous because now you're just it, first stage is just clarifying data, and then over time, as you start to really dig in, you start to see these trends. You're like, oh, help me understand why is our product availability gone up or down over this last month? Did we have something going on with the releases? And so I think it goes back to that conversation, Rob. If you fall in love with each function, meaning you take a genuine interest in it, and you validate and value the people that are leading it, you will earn incredible credibility with their people and teams and you won't just be oh that's the operating fire chief he doesn't care care about it but if you express that real empathy and in in interest i think it it you get their hearts you get the hearts and the minds well it's a, you know it, it sounds to me like you're describing you really just have to care enough to uh d dive in to learn and listen and uh take you know join others in their task to the extent that you can and always be learning. You know, I think that's a, a great takeaway. Uh, I, I love to hear that, you know, you, you've had this career yet. You're just still so engaged. You're always trying to learn a about yourself and then B about 
like the folks that were with and for you, right? There, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing there's just not a lot of idle time. So I think a leader's takeaway is if you're doing it right, uh, boy, you're going to be in it to win it. You're going to have to yeah. be really engaged. And there's, and this is something I think, uh, you know, you and I shared in our education is that like developing that, like I'm going to be morally, mentally, and physically ready for, to do this job. And boy, we learned some, some time management. Like we just don't let time go to waste uh, and you're not. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, but I, I would say there is, the flip side of that is, is is much like training like an athlete is make sure if you're going super intense, how do you have your recovery? And so, you know, I went through two very, very tough CEO gigs, turnarounds, you know, people worried about we we're going to go bankrupt. Like, was I going to have to lay everybody off? We we're going to be able to return money to the shareholders, super stressful sleeping, you know, three or four hours a night for months at a time. And in this role for the last year and a half where I'm not CEO, I haven't had to do that. And like, my wife is like, look at you, you're a new dude. <laughs> and I'm working out every day, you know, for, for an hour and a half. And it's just a different dynamic. And I feel myself recovering physically, mentally, and emotionally from a two tours of duty that were just, just like the crucible. And so I think to your point, Rob, like you can go, 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 but you got to be super sensitive to your own balance. And if you know, it's going to be an extreme tour, how do you create that next tour to give yourself a little room to breathe? You can't be, you know, at 11 all the time. And I think at 53 now, I, I appreciate that a little bit more that I've been able to see my kids every day. Now, granted, I'm not traveling 75% of the time like I used to because of COVID, but I have two boys, 13, well, 14 and 16. Now I see them at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's just a really different dynamic. And I'm very grateful for it and blessed we haven't been impacted by covid and and just this is a special special time if i were ceo of another company right now i I'd, i'm not even in covid i'm not sure i would be able to be present in the same way and so i think take care of yourself as much as you don't you know you will always be running faster than most people just but how do you take care of yourself to make sure you can it's a marathon not a sprint Right. I tell people, but it's a five minute marathon, <laughs> right? five so, minute mile marathon. Yeah, I think you're you're giving us great lessons. And so we're we're sort starting to uh, hone in on our 30 minute limit that I gave you. So, yep. And I think you, you touched on this a little bit, but let's go back. And I usually ask folks this on the on the podcast. If you were to go back and look at, you know, 24 year old Lieutenant Wooten or Lieutenant J.G. Wooten and say, well, you, you here's something you did really well. That's something I can commend you for. Or, and you can also look back and go, man, here's something you need to take a round turn on. You know, what are those lessons learned? Uh, when you look back, if you were going to provide advice to a, a new aspiring leader, and you've, so you've told us some about taking care of yourself and that what, so. Yeah. Well, so just a little bit of context. So I was a JO in a, in a squadron, and um, so there were a lot of JOs in the squadron. And so J-O I remember being coming. A junior officer. Ju- yeah. Junior officer, forgive me, you know, aviator as a bombardier navigator. And I think I, uh, the opportunity is um, what I did well was um, b- b- not being afraid to step in and take on work around like planning strikes. And so I was over in Iraq. We weren't there during the war. We were part of Southern Watch, but we also responded to Mogadishu. And I think that putting in the hours to build the strike package with the other aircraft airframes and just again sort of being willing to step in a leadership role but doing the work i mean i spent lots and lots and lots of hours rather than working out on the tail 
you know, and, and playing video games. Like I was working and I think you do one strike package and then people are like, Oh, that went okay. Here's six things you could have done differently. Okay, great. You do the next strike package. Um, maybe it's understanding that the mission of the A6 was to be to lead strikes. And so if you want to be one of the best in the A6 community, you got to be a strike leader and to do that, you got to put the work in. And so I think as a young officer across any of these first responding groups, it's what it, what is the thing that you have to be excellent at and and how do you spend time and energy learning that skill getting aligned with mentors um and not being afraid to step forward and say why not me right like why can i lead yeah I, um, I, i'll jump yeah. in there that reminds me of just the, it reminds me of these the stories that you hear of athletes who like when practice is over they're back on the free yeah. throw line like yeah, so, yeah. yeah take that extra hour to you know if something's going on take the initiative show up at a meeting, show up at a, at a planning, whatever it is, yep. or like you're going to learn something new. So rather than right, go have a ice cream cone on the fantail, this yep. is going on. I'm going to get involved. Uh, so I love that. And it's not across everything, right? You don't have to do it all the time, but like pick your shots because that's where you're going to get the Navy command commendation medal, right? That's where you're going to get that dynamic. And that's where you're going to be slotted. Like we have classmates, Rob, like three-star admirals. It's just super cool. And those guys that we know have always been those that were, were honing their craft and taking advantage of the opportunity to, to lead. And I just, I, I think the people now that are in these roles, it's just so inspiring because they were the best of us. And now and there are these in these roles running the, the CNO of uh, Naval Reserve. It's just really extraordinary, the people that have risen to the top and stayed in. So I think that's number one. I think the counter to that is I was also wicked ambitious. And in the military, as you know, you kind of move along at the same level. Like everybody becomes an ensign and then a lieutenant, junior grade, lieutenant. And I, it's part of the reason I left the military was I was like, look, if I burn down Rome and rebuild it in a day, I'm getting paid the same as the guy next to me. My promotion window is the same as his for the next 15 years. Like this is not a meritocracy. And I think I was so wrapped up around that in terms of it drove me nuts. And so there were probably times when I should have probably just enjoyed it more and just said, Hey, look, you know, it's kind of socialist. We're all hanging out and we're all going to get paid the same. And um, so I think that tension between um, ambition and uh, at the same time, honing your craft and be, you know, wanting to be a leader is, is a balance that I don't know if I had it right when I was a J.O. Yeah. I've heard uh, several of our guests, uh, particularly when they get that same question about what do you look back a lot, many of them say, well, I would take my time, relax a little bit, go, you know, I think what you said is a, is a great balance. Get involved when and where you can, where it makes sense, do a little bit extra. But at the same time, you know, we can look back with a little bit of experience under our belt and go, man, take your time. It's going to be okay. You know, everything will be fine type of thing. Pick your shots. Pick your you know shot. what I mean? It's like you can't do everything extraordinarily well. Find the thing that resonates with who you are as a person, with your skills, your orientation, your personality. How do you lean into that and be extraordinary? That's awesome. Hey, summary, be yourself, be transparent, work hard, take initiative, relax a little bit, take care of yourself, um, constant self-improvement. Uh, I'm taking notes here. That's what I've got. I think that's great for uh, whether you're in the business world or whether you're in the military or whether you're a first responder, uh, voice of experience, Randy Wooten coming at you. Uh, from oakland california today so hey we're uh i'm coming at you from carolina it's 70 and sunny on a february day so we're 
We're, we're California-like today. That's uh, right. It's 65 and beautiful, no humidity out here. So uh, yeah. going to go out for a bike ride later. But Rob, always great catching up. Super impressed by what you've done with your career. Thank you for offering this to the broader community and look forward to continuing to share your success. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye.